Good morning again. Good morning. It's always a, an honor to be able to be here to bring you the word. Uh, we are continuing this week in our little mini-series uh, that I've titled, Why Are We Here? We've been examining the instructions that Jesus gave to his church so we know why he says, or the Bible says, we are here as the church. Now, last week, we considered our responsibility as the church and as Christians. We all together have a responsibility to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus. And we saw that means that we each have a responsibility to repent and believe, to change our lives, to conform to Christ in whose name we proclaim the gospel. And last week I ended with this. This is what I said. I said, God doesn't expect you to do this alone. That is why he sent his spirit. Pray for the spirit. Pray that you would be aware of his presence. Pray that he would work his power in you. Pray that you would hear him, be sensitive to his voice and his promptings. Pray that he would reveal Christ to you more and more and turn your heart to love him more and more. We need to be clothed with power from on high, so we need to pray for God to clothe us. And today what I want to do is explore this idea a little further. I want to consider the responsibility that we have and the role of the Holy Spirit in carrying out that responsibility. And to do that, we're going to consider yet another post-resurrection appearance of Christ, his last appearance, in fact. We're going to see his final instructions to his church right before he ascends to heaven. But in order to understand these instructions, we have to consider a few preliminary issues first, because Luke sets this encounter up with Jesus in a very interesting way. He starts with this. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. So Luke addresses the book of Acts to the same person he addresses his gospel account to. That was the first book. And here, Luke explains the difference between the two books. In his gospel account, Luke says he's already dealt with what Jesus began to do. His public ministry, his perfect life, his death and resurrection. All he did to provide salvation for his people. But Luke says, well, that's just how he started. That was only the beginning of his work. So this book, the book of Acts, tells us what Jesus continued to do. Because the death and resurrection weren't the end. There was still more to do. And Luke lets us know that Jesus himself is going to come and do more physically. This is how he ends the encounter. Luke bookends these instructions with what Jesus has done and what he's yet going to do. Look what he says, starting in verse 9. And when he, Jesus, had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come again in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus ascended physically, and these angels tell the disciples, well, he's going to come again the same way. But Luke doesn't expound that in the book of Acts. He just wants his audience to know that Christ is physically coming again. But now he wants to talk about how he's going to complete the work he began between his two comings. How he's going to do it through his church. How he's going to do it through the apostles and their companions. Through the disciples that followed him. Through the disciples those disciples made that followed him. And we know those disciples followed all the commands. They proclaimed the gospel. They made disciples. And so did the disciples they made. And so did the disciples they made. And so did the disciples they made. And so on and so on and so on until we get to you and me until we get to Montclair Community Church, until we get to us today. And Jesus is still working. There is no doubt about that. There's no question. The only question is, what is our part in that? Or, why are we here? 
As we've seen, we're here because there is work to do. There is still work to do. And thankfully, Jesus prepared us to do that work. I mean, before he even leaves, he tells his church what's coming. Look at what he says. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Note two things here. First, Jesus gave his church commands. Not strong suggestions. Not instructions for the apostles to follow should they happen to want to continue the work that he started. He gave commands. See, there are some people who want to separate the God of the Old Testament from the God of the New Testament. Because it's the God of the Old Testament that's all commands and judgment and wrath, right? And the God of the New Testament, well, he's all love and faith and forgiveness and freedom. So, you know, I'll accept the commands that Jesus gave me to love God and love my neighbor. Because he said those are the only commands I had to follow, right? No. Jesus never said that. He said those were the greatest commandments that they summed up the Old Testament law. That I'm on board with. But he never said they were the only commands we had to follow. No, Jesus gave commands to his church. He's given commands to us. So that's first. Second, notice here that the commands came through the Holy Spirit. Now last week we talked about how Jesus identified with us in every way, except for sin and repentance. We saw he even accepted baptism, a baptism of repentance in order to identify with us. And we all know the baptism story, right? We all know it. Jesus comes to John. John says, no, Jesus, no, 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 you should baptize me. I shouldn't baptize you because John knew he had no sins to repent of. But Jesus insists and John baptizes him and he comes up out of the water and we read that the heavens split open, right? And what happens? The Holy Spirit descends on him visibly and you hear the Father from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we all know how important this scene is for the doctrine of a trinity, right? All three persons of a trinity, all in the same place at the same time. We know how important this is to prove that Jesus is, in fact, the promised Messiah. But there's more to it than that. This is important because it shows us that Jesus was empowered by God, the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the man from Nazareth, the human who was just like us in every way except for sin, he was given the Holy Spirit in order to carry out the work he came to do, in order to be perfectly obedient to the Father. And that's why, right after his baptism, well, Jesus gets to work. He goes off in the wilderness and faces off against Satan and, and resists the temptations. And he does that by the power of the Spirit. And then he starts his ministry. And Jesus of Nazareth is preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins and the power of the Spirit. And then he carries out his whole ministry, stays perfectly obedient to the Father, goes to the cross, suffers and dies, is raised on the third day, all in the power of the Spirit. And here, even after his resurrection, the now raised but still human Jesus gives commands to his church in the power of the Spirit. Now, why is that so important? Why does Luke make sure to point that out? Because as we'll see, the same Spirit is given to us. The same Spirit that was on Jesus, that empowered him to live perfectly obedient, that empowered him to carry out the work the Father gave him to do, we have that same, that same Spirit. So we can be obedient in the power of the Spirit. So we can proclaim the gospel in the power of the Spirit. So we, like him, can each get to work using the gifts he has given us all in the power of the Spirit. Luke is focusing on the Holy Spirit's role in our mission as the church. And Luke goes on and says this, says he, Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. 
Now, we've seen some of these appearances already, right? We saw it in, in the Matthew account and the, and the Luke account. We saw he offered proof to his disciples last week. He, he showed them his hands and feet. He offered for them to touch him physically. He sat down and ate with them. Because remember, we saw the apostles were having a little bit of a hard time believing all this, especially the whole physical resurrection thing. And the fact that he appears to them, we find out here, over the course of 40 days, I would think that would indicate we don't have a record of all his appearances. So then we don't have a record of everything that he taught about the kingdom of God after his resurrection. But in what we do have recorded, we have two common themes. They are command and the Holy Spirit. He tells us what to do, and then he tells us how he'll do it. In the Great Commission, we see command and the Holy Spirit. We don't just have the baptismal formula of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have Jesus' final words. He says to make disciples by teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We see the commands. We are commanded to teach all that he has commanded in order to make disciples. And we see the Holy Spirit because Jesus said, I am with you always. And his Holy Spirit is how Jesus said he would be with us. See, he's physically in heaven. He's glorified, but still human. He can still only be in one place at one time bodily. And he will return, as we saw, physically to finish the work he started. But until then, Jesus says he is with us. He says he is always with us. And he's with us by his spirit. Jesus gave his explanation of the ministry of his spirit to his disciples the night before he died. He said this in John 14. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus tells them, beginning the chapter, that he's going away, and he says he will come to his disciples. And he's not talking about the second coming here. He's talking about the sending of the Spirit. And he explains this by tying in the commands he gave them with the ministry of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come, and that is how Jesus will come to his church. And the Spirit will be our helper to obey Christ's commands, to carry out the work that Jesus gave to his church. Just like the Spirit enabled Jesus to carry out his work. And we saw much the same last week. Jesus gives the command to proclaim the gospel of repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name, and then he gives the promise of the Holy Spirit. Look what he says. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He tells them what to do, but then tells them to wait in the city until he prepares them to do it. They had to wait for the Spirit because the Spirit is who empowered them to will and to do the work that Jesus gave them to do. It is the Spirit who empowers us to will and to do the work that Jesus has given us to do. And this is what he apparently preached to them throughout that 40 days. Again, starting in verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from, from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus continued to teach them what they needed to know to carry out the mission of a church, and he told them to wait until the coming of the Spirit to start. 
And here he refers to the baptism of John, which as we just saw, for Jesus is when he was visibly baptized with the Spirit. He's telling them, you are going to get the same Spirit that I got. And his final day on earth, Jesus gives the commands and the promise we saw last week to proclaim the gospel once the Spirit has been given to them. If we continue on to the last few verses of Luke, we read this. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. And his parting and carrying off is the ascension. This happens at the Mount of Olives. Bethany is on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. What we read here in Acts are the details of his final words right before, he's right, right before he ascends. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? But he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now notice a few things here. The apostles have been with Jesus for almost his entire ministry. They heard all his teaching. They saw all his miracles. They saw him tell the religious elite, those who knew the scriptures the best, time and time again, but their understanding of it was very lacking. And then, after his resurrection, they see him again. We're told they were with him for 40 days, hearing about the kingdom of God. They were with him for 40 days, getting more instructions, receiving more commands, because the church was given a mission to proclaim the gospel and make disciples. They were with him for 40 days, as we just read, hearing about being baptized in the Holy Spirit before the work would begin. And here, what we see they still don't quite understand, right? They ask him, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They ask him if he's going to fulfill the rest of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah as they understood them, because they didn't understand yet what he was doing. And if we're going to be honest, there are plenty of times in our lives we just don't get what God is doing, do we? Am I the only one? You know, when we can't see how the circumstances we're in are any good for anyone, how they're good for the kingdom, how they're good for his glory. I just can't see sometimes how God can possibly use this that I'm in right now to further his purposes. Is what we do in those situations? We ask the same thing the apostles did. Jesus, are you going to do something about this? The disciples here are doing, right? They heard all Jesus said. They understood what he was telling them, but they looked around at their circumstances and said, no, Jesus, are you going to do something about this? We saw Jesus told them to proclaim the same message he proclaimed. He told them to make disciples just like he chose them as disciples. He told them to do exactly what he did, and what he did just got them killed. The Jewish leaders were against him. Now the Romans were involved. I mean, what was a ragtag band of fishermen and tax collectors going to do that Jesus couldn't do, really? So we say to Jesus, Jesus, you want us to go proclaim the gospel? You want us to go make disciples? Look at the situation. Jesus, we're going to be hated by our own people. Jesus, now the Romans are involved and aware of what's going on. Are you going to do something about this before we start? Are you going to restore the kingdom and be the Messiah we were all expecting first? And we know the answer. Jesus basically says, don't worry about that right now. Don't worry about that right now. Just carry out the mission in the power of the Spirit. So too, for us, as I've said, this has nothing to do with how great our faith is. It doesn't matter how long we've been a Christian, how ready we feel to be a part of the mission of the church. Our situation, like that of the apostles, is irrelevant in this regard. We have the power. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. 
We have his presence. Christ is with us to do the work. We have his commands. We know exactly what he told us to do. We have everything we need. And of course, when the apostles asked this, the Spirit hadn't been given to them yet. So they couldn't really understand. But what do we see once the Spirit was given? Oh, they understand. They know they now have the power of God working in them and working through them. And all those questions go away. And they just got to work. See, they didn't question. They obeyed. But we have all received the Holy Spirit. And that means we just need to get to work. Even though we have questions, that's okay. Through our doubts, that's okay. Though we can't often understand why God is working this way, that's okay. Because notice Jesus' response to their question. He just says it's not for you to know the times or seasons the Father is fixed by his own authority. He doesn't tell them, guys, that's a really stupid question. He doesn't tell them, oh, your faith is weak if you're going to ask a question like that. No, he tells them, okay, you guys are absolutely right. I am going to fix this situation. I am going to come and be the Messiah you're expecting. I am going to reign on earth. He tells them, you're right about that. You're right to look for that. This will happen. But the when is not your concern. He said the same thing to us. We need to believe it will happen. Ultimately, everything works for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Ultimately, he will be glorified in all the earth. Ultimately, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. This is happening. But when is not our concern. He will make our circumstances perfect. He promises he will. We don't have to worry about when, just like it wasn't for the apostles to worry about when. Jesus called them and called us to do the work that we are called to do because we know he is coming again. We know in the end everything works out. We shouldn't concern ourselves with the when because we are called to concern ourselves not with what Jesus will do then, but with what Jesus wants to do right now. That's what Jesus says next. He tells them what he's going to do in them. He tells them what he's going to do through them. He says, I'm going to give you power. The Holy Spirit is going to come. You're going to get power from on high. But they also know that means he is going to come to them. It's what we saw in the Great Commission. Jesus said, all authority is his. The word can also mean power. It's translated power in the New Testament. All power and authority is his. And then he says, I will be with you. He does the same thing here. Jesus comes to them in power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He says, I will give you everything you need to be what you're called to be and do what you're called to do. And what are we called to be? We're called to be his witnesses. We saw this in Luke last week, right? In Luke 24, 48, he said, you are witnesses of these things. But here he expands on that. It's a little different. In Acts 1, 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. See, who we are is tied in with the Holy Spirit. Who we are is tied in with who the Holy Spirit is. We are who we are because of who the Holy Spirit is, and he is with us. We are those invested with the same power as Jesus of Nazareth. Yes, he was God in the flesh. But brothers and sisters, we have God in us. The same spirit that enabled Jesus to obey is in us. The same spirit that carried, helped him carry out his mission is in us. See, we are Jesus' witnesses because the Holy Spirit is in us. Christ has given us all we need to be who he calls us to be. We just need to decide to be it. As Ian Bounds said, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use. 
Matha Community Church, the Holy Spirit wants to use us. He wants to use us to carry out the work that Jesus began. You know, we heard about this a couple of weeks ago when Pastor David preached on the gifts of the Spirit. We saw the Spirit has filled each of us. The Spirit has gifted each of us because the Spirit wants to use each of us. Let's go back to Ephesians 4 for a minute. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so that it builds itself up in love. This is what Christ called us to. This is what he commanded when he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. As you've heard me say, who we are will always work itself out in what we do. Christ has made us into his witnesses by his Holy Spirit so that we believe, so we'd be willing to work, so we'd be enabled to work. And as I said, Jesus has not left his church unprepared to fill our calling. He's given us everything we need. He's granted us new life through his death and resurrection. He has made us into new creatures. He has granted us faith to believe. He's opened our minds to understand the scriptures as we saw. He's given us his Holy Spirit to work in us both the will and to do for his good pleasure, as we saw. He has given us gifts, as we saw. Gifts that we are to use to be part of what God is doing in his church. He has made us what we are. He has made us what he calls us to be. We just need to do what he calls us to do. Again, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The church needs to be Christ's witness to the world. I want to notice a few things about what he says here. First, unlike the Great Commission, where we're called to make disciples of all people, and the command to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Christ's name to all people, this command here in Acts 1.8, this does have a geographical element to it. Do you remember what we saw? The word in those commands for nations means people, people groups. It's not a word that usually has a geographic connotation in the New Testament. Jesus was saying nobody is excluded. Nobody is excluded from hearing the gospel. Nobody is excluded based on any worldly distinction to become a disciple of Christ. And I said, that's why we shouldn't consider those purely missionary commands. They are first about being who Christ has made us and doing what he has called us to do as a church and as individuals. But here, this is a purely missionary command. This is about spreading the message of the gospel, being Christ's witnesses ultimately to the end of the earth. But I want us to understand this command. I want to challenge, perhaps, the way you've understood this command. I can't tell you how many times I've heard a pastor preach this as a model for missions in their own church. Right? The apostles were to start in Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. Then go to Judea, which was their, their state that Jerusalem was in. And then they should go to Samaria, to the next state over. And, and, and then there should be witnesses there. And then following that outward pattern, they were to expand the mission over the whole earth until they reached the end of the earth. And so the model goes when it's understood this way. We should start in our own town. 
We should be witnesses in Montclair, and then we should be witnesses in all of New Jersey, and we should expand the mission outward, and we should hit New York or Pennsylvania and just keep moving outward so the gospel reaches the whole world. But there are two huge problems with understanding this passage this way. First, Jerusalem was not the apostles' hometown, and Judea was not their home state. They were all from Galilee. By this model, their own state would at best be a third priority for them. Second, this model always makes the church that follows this pattern the center of God's mission. Now, there are 300,000 churches in the United States. Was Jesus commanding 300,000 independent different missions in our country? And think about it practically. If this were the model, then we should evangelize all of Montclair, likely doing what all the other Montclair churches would be doing. Then once we've done that, we expand to the neighboring towns. So we go to Bloomfield, and uh, we find out, well, Skyline's already done that, and they moved on to the next town over, which is Montclair. I mean, do we see the issue here? So what was Jesus really talking about here? Well, let's talk about Israel's geography for a minute. I know that seems so unspiritual, doesn't it? Just give me a minute. We're going to see this is very spiritual. Keeping in mind, the apostles were not Judeans. Jesus told his disciples that once he was raised, where should they meet him? He says, you will meet me in Galilee. Then, you know, the first Easter morning, the female, some of the female disciples show up at the tomb, and they see the angels who say, oh, he's not here, go meet him in Galilee. And according to Matthew's gospel, on their way to tell the apostles what happened, they meet Jesus himself and says, don't be afraid, just tell everybody to go meet me in Galilee, I'll talk to you there. We saw the giving of the Great Commission happens in Galilee. All the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus recorded in John's gospel take place in Galilee. The conversation with Peter likely takes place right in his hometown. Remember, they're right by Peter's boat. They're right on the Sea of Galilee. But then, by the time we get to the appearance in Luke we talked about last week, Jesus' last day before the, the day of the ascension, the apostles are now back in Jerusalem. And then we read this. The same day is that Jesus takes them out of Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives and ascends, but not before telling them, go back to Jerusalem and wait. And we saw in Luke's gospel, the proclamation of repentance and forgiveness should begin in Jerusalem. He said, stay there till the Holy Spirit comes. Here, Jesus gives the promise of the Holy Spirit and again says, we're going to start in Jerusalem. And the point of it all starting in Jerusalem is very much a matter of geography. They go to Galilee to meet him, but he sends them back to Jerusalem to be endowed with the Holy Spirit. Because this is a matter of cosmic geography. This is a matter of spiritual geography. This is all about the presence of God. It's about where God dwells on earth. In the Old Testament, as early as the book of Deuteronomy, God tells his people, there will be a place that I choose to make my name dwell. And the idea of the name of God means his presence and his power, right? When we invoke the name of God, we want him to work in his power right where we are. And this place of God's dwelling is a theme throughout much of the Old Testament, and ultimately God chooses Jerusalem to be his dwelling. That's where David brings the ark. That's where Solomon brings the temple. See, Jerusalem was more than just the capital of Israel. It was the capital because it's where God chose to dwell among them. That's where God dwelt, and he did. Until God's judgment in the Babylonian captivity, and after the destruction of a temple, the ark is never seen again. God's presence leaves the temple. Ezekiel sees all this happen in a vision while in captivity. And God's people suffered centuries without God's presence until he came as one of us. 
until our Emmanuel came in Jesus Christ. God's presence was in the man Jesus. And the man Jesus was clothed with power from on high when the Spirit was sent to dwell in him. And he proclaimed repentance and forgiveness of sins in Israel, but was rejected. And then he was brought to Jerusalem, where he was killed. After he was risen, he brings his disciples back to Jerusalem. And the presence of God in Christ leaves from Jerusalem. And the apostles are sent to Jerusalem to begin their mission. But not before God would come from heaven again and make his dwelling among them. Not before he would make them the place of his presence and his power. Remember what we saw in the Great Commission. Christ is with us always to the end of the age. His presence is with us. Jesus gave the disciples their mission, but not before his church would be where he would make his name to dwell. Repentance and forgiveness are preached in his name. We have his presence. We have his power. See, there's something bigger going on in his command than a model for missions. It explains the mission more fully than I think we realize sometimes. This mission, God's mission, is about spreading his presence over the face of the earth. He is taking his presence that he chose to place in Jerusalem. And right there in Jerusalem, he placed it in his church to bear his name, to bring it to everyone, everywhere. So this command is not a model for each church. It is the mission of the whole church. And what that means for us is that we shouldn't think about this as something we need to do as a church. We should understand this as something we are already part of as the church. We are part of the mission to the ends of the earth. We are part of the mission that began in Jerusalem when Jesus made his home in the church by his spirit. We are not just to send missionaries as a church. We are missionaries as a church. We are a church plant of the original mission Christ empowered his church to carry out by dwelling in them beginning at Jerusalem. And what that means for us is that his name is here. Right here. His presence is here. His power is here. He truly has given us everything we need to carry out our mission because it is his mission. Listen, God is the missionary that goes to the end of the earth. And he does that through his church in the power of the Holy Spirit. He does that through all of us. We are the temple of God. He does that by his Holy Spirit in us. We are where the presence and the power of God are on earth. So that means we need to let the Holy Spirit, Spirit do that through each of us, who each are also temples of the Holy Spirit. You are where the Holy Spirit dwells. You are where the presence and the power of God dwell on earth. You are. I am. Each of us. Us together. And we need to believe that because, listen, like we saw last week, we need to cultivate that. When we come together on a Sunday morning, we are the place that God dwells. We, this morning, are where the presence and the power of God are. How many Sunday mornings do we come here expecting to meet God and experience his power? That's what we're here to do. That is how we, the church, will be his witness. Do each of us, every other minute of the week, do we live our lives as if God is with us? Because he is. Do we live as if his power resides in us? Because it does. And living in light of that is how we will each be his witnesses. Are we using our God-given gifts to be part of the mission that God is carrying out through his church? Or maybe 
Maybe we're waiting for a situation to change first, like the apostles were expecting. You know, once this happens, then I can get involved in this. You know, one, one day, I look really forward to it, one day I'll really be able to study the Bible like I know I should. One day, when fill in the blank isn't an issue anymore, then I'll start coming to the prayer meeting on Thursdays, then I'll join a community group. One day, my weeks just aren't so crazy and I'm so drained by the weekend. When that happens, that's when I'll get involved in ministry. You know, the apostles said the same thing to Jesus. They said, Jesus, change our circumstances before they wanted to embrace the mission that he gave them. But Jesus said, don't worry about your circumstances changing. Instead, he said, I am going to change you. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. If you know Christ, he has changed you. He has empowered you. And he is with you. And he has commanded you to be his witness. And I say to us as a church, we need to obey that command. We are, as I said, where God's power and presence are when we're together. He's given us everything we need. And I say to each of us, we need to obey that command. We know what we should do. We know. The only question is, what will we do? As those who have God's presence and power within us, as those who God has given everything he needs to do what he's called us to do, what will we do? So repeat what I said last week. Here's what you should do. Pray for the Spirit. Pray to be aware of his presence, that he would work his power in you. And not just now, not just Sunday morning. Pray for that continually. I repeat what Pastor David said two weeks ago. You want to get involved? You want to grow in your faith? Well, then decide what you believe your next step is and come speak to an elder about it so you can take that next step. Or speak to someone that you trust. Ask them, what is my gifting, if you're unsure, so that you can be part of what God is doing? I say it every week, get in the Word. Seek Jesus like never before. Know Him more and more. Believe Him more and more. But as Christ's witness, as part of the mission of the church that began in Jerusalem and God put His presence in us, as the very place where God's presence and power dwells, I ask you this morning, don't choose to do nothing. Choose Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for who you are, God. I thank you, God, that you have convicted my own heart, Lord, understanding the mission that you've given us, Lord, knowing that it's easy for me to make excuses, that it's easy for me to say I'm, I'm doing enough, Lord. God, you've given us everything we need to be. And God, I know, we know, Lord, that one day you're coming back. We know that one day all of this, God, no matter what our situation is now, you will make it perfect. And you will be with us, physically be with us forever, Lord. So my prayer now, Lord, is make us aware of your presence within us. Make us aware of your power that is within us, Lord. Help us to be witnesses. Witnesses here, witnesses, Lord, to the ends of the earth, Lord. 
Help us to embrace who we are, those that you loved enough to come and take on flesh, to identify with us, Lord, to go to the cross and free us, God, free us from our imprisonment to sin, free us from our imprisonment to death, to make us something holy, new, the place where you dwell, the place where you work your power. Help us, Lord. Help us to embrace who we are. Help us to not leave here today and do nothing. Work in us by your great power. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.